as a birth mother, you're literally leaving the hospital empty handed and you're, you feel weightless compared to the, you know, the weight that you were carrying physically, but also, you know, emotionally, there's a lot of that emptiness. And so having puppies to literally be in my arms, um, was a huge, huge help. Welcome to book therapy. I'm your host, Kim Patton. There's no way to count how many books are floating around in this world. Some are decent, some are truly terrible, and some are great. Today, we're going to take a deep dive into one great book. Together, we will discover gems of truth and encouragement to help you face your current season of life. I'm ready. You're ready. Let's get this party started. Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Book Therapy. I have an interview coming up next for you, but before we get started with that, I just wanted to let you know that my audiobook for Nothing Wasted has been released on Audible. So it's now available on Amazon as paperback, ebook, and audiobook. I know many people don't have time to sit down and read a book, but you all do a lot of driving and a lot of chores and walking and things like that. And I know an audiobook is um, easier to get through sometimes than a paper book. So you can find that at Amazon.com. Okay, on to the show. Let's dive into the book. Today we are talking about The 16th Year by Leah Outen. Leah is a birth mother in a fully open adoption and a mother of five whom she parents with her husband. She has been writing, speaking, and serving the adoption community since 2004. Welcome to the show, Leah. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. I picked up your book and it's a memoir, so I immediately fell in love with it. And it's about open adoption. And many of my listeners know that we um, have children who we have an open adoption relationship with, with their birth mother. So when I got the opportunity to interview a birth mother, I was so excited. And I've been thinking about this for weeks. Um, I loved your book. I cried through it. I laughed through it. I felt like you did an amazing job telling your story with honesty and vulnerability and I loved seeing how God has worked through your life through these past 20 years. So tell us a little bit about your story and what you're doing in your current life now and your involvement in the adoption community. Yeah, so it's a lot to cram in of 20 years into my life. But um, in general, um, I was 16 when I found out that I was pregnant. And so that started my not only my faith journey, but also a journey towards adoption and just really surrendering my life to Jesus and trusting him with not only my life, but my daughter's life. And I really felt like open adoption was the way to, to move forward. And that was the first time I found peace and really, truly experienced the Lord. Um, and, you know, as parents in general, surrendering my child to the Lord and trusting that he knows that what's best for her. Um, and, I was very, you know, back then open adoption was really not much of a thing. We were pioneering our way through it. Um, but our hearts were set up to be, um, having the same desires and we created this really amazing relationship together where I've always been a part of her life. She's always known who I am. We've had at least two visits every year, often more than that. And they were, her parents were just so incredible to love me as Jesus loves and just included me into their life in every way they could. Um, and that really shaped me as a person, as, you know, as a 16 year old who was growing and maturing, but also, um, you know, just 
having that role model of a, a healthy Christian family, what that can look like, because I grew up in a, in a harder um, childhood situation. And so it was just really amazing on all different kinds of levels and also being able to see her um, grow and thrive as well. And so how they loved me has shaped um, and desired to be able to help other adoptive families to know how to love birth parents well. And I feel like that's a trickle effect that if you, if adoptive parents can have open and soft hearts and tender hearts towards birth parents, um, you know, that benefits your child that's at the center. It helps them to honor all sides of them, both nature and nurture. And so that's led into speaking. Um, I've a freelance writer. So I write articles about adoption topics. Um, and then that led to my memoir um, because people just want, you know, people want to know the details of what does this actually look like and how can I apply this to, to my life um, and to my story. And obviously that looks different for every birth parent and every adoption situation. Um, but hopefully it's, you know, little nuggets of what can be used into adoption and just also reshaping birth parents you know, typically we're not scary people. We just love our children and want what's best for them and just want to know that they're loved and um, and cared for, you know, like we're generally, we're not scary people that have to be afraid of us. <laughs> I love that. I might title, title this episode, like birth mothers are not scary people. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really common fear I come across in my, like, in my client calls, like for, it's really, really going to be okay there's boundaries are great when needed when you know there are some you know toxicity or higher lifestyle choices but in general like it's still important and we're not that scary <laughs> yeah okay so let's start at the beginning I would say the first part of your story you were young scared and alone I'm going to read this quote from page 32 this is when you first found out you were pregnant and you imagined yourself with the baby it says, I imagine gently rocking the baby to sleep and feeding him or her as I looked into my baby's eyes with love and care. I imagined a toddler running into my room as I finished up homework. I dared to even imagine us as a family of three. I hadn't been able to reach Samuel though. Where is he? I say you were young and scared and alone because you were 16. You did not have a great relationship with the birth father. And at this point you were still kind of holding on to hope that you would be able to parent. However, as the story goes on, we see that even though you wanted to parent, you wanted to be her mother and you were bargaining with God on page 49, you said, I'll do anything. Just please don't make me let her go. That, that part was hard to read because I felt your love for your daughter. I felt that as you were pregnant, you really wanted to keep her because she was yours and you had that right. But I also felt like you did a good job setting yourself aside and putting her first and also learning to trust God. Yeah, it was, it's definitely a hard thing. Uh, it's a, I mean, it's a life lesson that like all Christians, I feel like have to come to of really that surrendering process of like, okay, God, you see my big picture and you know, my heart's desires. And I also have to trust that, you know, what is best in the long run for all of us. And, um, yeah, I, I, I think that's again, one of the misconceptions that birth parents don't want or don't love their children. I really wanted to show that in this book that, um, 
all the birth moms I know, they love their children a whole lot. And I absolutely love um, Kaylee. I still do. And I'm here in her life to help her to, to know without a doubt, I love her um, and really was trying to make that sacrificial decision of this is what I feel like is best in this situation. And that is, it's a devastating decision to make. And that's something I'm telling clients all the time to keep that in mind that this is a really devastating, humbling decision to make that I'm not ready to parent. And being able to have that tender heart um, to acknowledge that is a, it's a really important thing to understand whether you're adopting or not. Um, just to have that um, awareness that it is really hard. So you mentioned a devastating decision. And so this next part kind of moves into when you placed Kaylee up for adoption with her adoptive parents that you were able to choose and you felt very comfortable with them. Um, I love how you tell the intricacies of meeting them and choosing the name and feeling like you could trust them almost immediately. That was, um, that was really beautiful. And I, I was glad for you. <laughs> I was glad for that 16 year old self, like, Oh, good. Like God is providing and she's able to see God's provision. But as you move into giving birth, your um, the second part, you're, um, feeling empty, you're grieving, but you're also maturing. As you are choosing the adoptive family on page 72, you kind of lay out what your parameters are or what your hopes and desires are for an open adoption. It says, I shared my hopes of visiting at least twice a year. While no one can predict exactly what they will feel when actually walking through the adoption journey emotions, I felt that was a conservative minimum amount and what my heart could handle between visits. I knew I would miss Kaylee deeply. I knew I would want to see her and how she's grown, but I didn't want to ask too much. You had to mature overnight, Leah. You were faced with an adult decision, an adult monumental moment, and you were still in high school. So you you grew up. Tell me about disenfranchised grief because I read that phrase in your book and then I felt real smart when the next day at training for my work, the phrase came up and they said disenfranchised grief. And I was like, oh, I know what that is. So tell me about that because I thought that that was a really um, key, I don't know, vocabulary word, I guess, like that we don't really talk about much. So as a birth mother, what is disenfranchised grief? It was, I think it was actually started as like widows or like other like deaths not being able to be talked about. And then it was applied to this birth mother situation where while the child is still living, um, you're still grieving the life that could have been and you're grieving them physically not being with you. And um, it's giving, it's, it's where you're not really given permission to grieve out loud or to show it, or it's just like, oh, let's just move along, which was what people were told to do for, you know, generations, that secrecy and that silence was really, really damaging to birth parents and adoptees. Um, and so I feel like that's where my story has had more healing is because I was always given permission to share what I was hoping for. I was able to talk about her, um, you know, in my home, my parents walked through all those feelings and tears and were with me throughout the process. And so being able to feel that and have support through it, I don't feel like I've had that, um, 
that as intensely as other birth mothers have had. So it's definitely important. And I think it's also important for adoptees to, um, to not have that um, disenfranchised grief and just giving them permission to, to talk about all these things in a safe place because it really helps our um, brains to just wrap around and come to a place more of acceptance and while still holding all the tension of both and the joy and the grief of it all. Two things that helped you as you were going through these, this grieving time was number one, puppies, and number two, um, some of your family and close friends threw you a, a Leah shower. I don't know what else to call it, but talk to me about how those two things helped you through this grieving uh, time in your life. Yeah. So my parents, um, were so great and just thinking of ways of how can we help you through this, if this is your decision, um, and so one of those things was like, what if we get puppies so that you have something to nurture and something in your arms to love on and to take care of. And while it can't take the place of your, you know, your daughter, it's something that can help you with coping. And they were a big piece of my, that of that, my journey after and just being able to, because as a birth mother, you're literally leaving the hospital empty handed and you're, you feel weightless compared to the, you know, the weight that you were carrying physically, but also, you know, emotionally, there's a lot of that emptiness. And so having puppies to literally be in my arms um, was a huge, huge help. Um, and then the Leah shower was one of those things. That's what they called it was a Leah shower. Um, and just wanted, they wanted to love me and honor my decision and just honor, like, you know, typically we'd be throwing you a baby shower at this time. And since you don't need baby things, we just want to love you. And, you know, they gave me things to kind of, again, cope and heal or to look forward to after birth. And that was such a touching thing that I think more, more birth parents really need in their lives to, to feel honored and cared for and surrounded um, by a village in that, that support was so crucial. Your puppy story reminds me of when we were struggling with infertility and I was, I was having a really hard time. We were almost ready to jump into the adoption world. Um, but <laughs> I think, I think I told my husband I needed something to take care of. And I don't know why I said that because I, I really didn't, I just wanted a child, but he got me a fish. <laughs> he got me a little blue beta fish and, you know, it was cool for a few days or for a few weeks, but it's like me and fish and plants, like they, it's, it's not going to end well. So I ended up giving away the fish to my neighbor um, who had six kids and we named him Gordito Azul and um, they buried him. It didn't take long. They, they, they buried him in their backyard. So I'm pretty sure Gordito Azul is in the backyard of my friend's house in Florida. They've since moved. We've since moved, but um I, I hope you did better with the puppies that I did with the fish. We, well, yes, we, we definitely, it was a team effort for sure, but that's hilarious. Like <laughs> that's too funny of all the things to like, <laughs> I know it's, I, I think I've done better with kids. So I guess that's, that's good. Yes. That's, I think even more important. I'm the same way with plants. I will not have fish. I can keep cats alive. Um, so that's good. And the puppies. So 
Um, they had a, they had a long life. (laughs) Oh, good. Okay. So I want to move into this last section and this is where my heart just shredded. Um, because we'll get to it, but this last part, I say that you are trusting you're working and you're blossoming. And this really encompasses your, um, the first year of Kaylee's life. And then, um, you meeting your husband and then you guys starting your family, getting married and your life kind of moving on while also still interacting with and being involved in Kaylee's life up until she turned 18. I want the listeners to get a feel for what your open adoption looked like because, and I do not say this lightly, nobody does what you were able to do with your birth daughter and her adoptive parents. Um, I say nobody because I'm dramatic, but it's extremely rare. On page 131, you talk about how you visit with Kaylee and and their family. This is kind of a picture of what what it looked like for you all. Still being a part of Kaylee's life to where she knew my face and fell asleep on me and getting to experience everyday moments with her was so helpful. Her mom was her mom, but when I was around, I always tried to be helpful and give them a break in ways that I could. Christine and I would share mothering together. I would get up with the kids early in the mornings to let them sleep in. I played with Kaylee and kept her entertained. It was as much fun for them as it was for me, and they allowed me space to treasure her. Those visits also reminded me yet again how I was very much not ready to be a mother and how exhausting it was emotionally and physically. It truly was the best of both worlds. Even uh, farther down the page, you got to babysit Kaylee and, you know, some people would say like, what, aren't you afraid she's going to run off with her while, while you're gone? This is, this is part of tying back into what you said about birth mothers aren't scary. And I say this delicately because there are a lot of situations where it's not safe for the birth family to be involved in the adoptive child's life. Um, or there's distance or both. Um, Mm -hmm. but I want you to kind of give me a taste of what did these adoptive parents do for you and how did you safely navigate for 18 years being such, um, an important and vital and present, um, person in Kaylee's life and, and what did these adoptive parents do that most adoptive parents probably aren't able to do. Yeah, I think that's important. And I'm constantly um, kind of giving that disclaimer that in the spectrum of open adoption, ours is way on one side that is very, like we are like extended family. We've known addresses, phone numbers, all that stuff from the very beginning because we naturally felt comfortable with that. And because we both are in a healthier, I'm in a healthier place to have earned that access. Um, that's not always possible. And, you know, their first adoption, they don't have the same access and the same relationship. So it truly is a situational basis. Um, but in general, what they have always done is really in- included and invited me into their lives um, and asking me questions of what I think and what I want to be called. And what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? And really, you know, I mentioned this in the book of 
even when she was a baby and we we're sitting around the dinner table talking about what our future looks like, where what we what we have now is what we envisioned back then. And that was our goal. And it, I love that her dad prompted those conversations of like, hey, like, where's our goal? This is the goal I have for us. What do you think about it? And how do we make sure that we can, you know, I, as the birth parent that's growing and learning, how do I maintain my health level and mental health and my health, my lifestyle so that we can, you know, that access remains. Um, and that's been, that's been our big picture and our big goal. And so, um, that has looked into lots of different ways throughout the years of just, um, them being really intentional about um, inviting me in and including me and just honoring my role in her life. Um, just knowing that, you know, there's things that I provide and can support her in that they, that they can't, it doesn't come as naturally because they're not biological and like, that's okay. And having each other to, to work through that together is it's been wonderful. I want to talk about the thing that most you know, blew me away. And it, it ties into what you're saying about them setting up the high expectations. And I think we, we know this with kids, like you set the bar high because you want to encourage them to reach it because they'll, they'll reach the bar higher than you kind of think. So let's go ahead and set that bar higher. Um, just the other day, I was trying to encourage someone to drink more water. And I said, okay, well, if you drink this whole water bottle by the end of the day, um, I'll give you, I'll give you something. And had I not said that and done that, that person probably would not have drank any water, but because we focused on it and gave a goal, they achieved it. And I was so proud of them. And that's a really little thing, but what, what the adoptive parents sounds like they did for you was, we, we want you to be involved. We want you to be a healthy presence. We know that it's best for Kaylee to have a healthy birth mother. Um, because we know with identity with adoptees, their identity is tied to so many things and it's really important for them to feel secure in their identity. So that they went first and set the bar and you were able to, with the support and resources that God gave you, which it sounds like you had, a a good support system, you were able to maintain, um, healthy choices. Um, you pursued your relationship with God and that also helped you. And even though you had some stumbles along the way, you talk about that in the book, you still were able to maintain, um, a secure enough relationship with the adoptive parents to continue that safe relationship. So that was really cool to see. And then I want you to talk about when Kaylee was 18 and you freaking moved in together. Like I could not <laughs> believe this. I could not believe it. So I need you to tell me about that. Yes. Yeah. That was, um, I mean, so surreal as a birth mother. Um, and I'm sure for her too, and I'm sure difficult for her adoptive parents. Like again, that, that sacrificial thing of that both sides are, okay, I'm going to support you in this because we, you know, in surrendering and trusting God with this. Um, so she, when she turned 18, she um, really would express to them and to all of us, like, hey, I really would like to, you know, my siblings more. I would love to know, you know, just feel what it's like to be in your family for a little bit. And so we called it 
more like an extended visit. And so she was with us for like two or three months. Um, and she was, you know, doing community classes online. And so she had, you know, she had that flexibility in her young adult life to be able to do that. And they supported her in that. And we were in a place where we could do, where we could invite her in. Um, and we, you know, made a room for her and we, you know, just did life together for a little bit. And, you know, she was so thrilled to like have her name on the chore chart and <laughs> to help with dinner and like, you know, just be, I mean, honestly, it kind of was like when I would go visit her family and be a help there and try to just be immersed into their world. It's like, she was doing that in my world now. And like such a gift that is as a birth parent, that's again, so rare. Um, and so I'm, we're so grateful for that experience. It also was such a, um, an experience that deepened our relationship in the sense that it became more real. It, I, I talk about this in the book where like the pedestals kind of come down a little bit and, you know, we got mad at each other for the first time and just working through those, those things, but it really deepened our relationship for sure. Um, and such a gift of time. Unbelievable. I, I think my jaw just dropped that whole chapter. I was like, um, I don't know if she knows this, but nobody does this. <laughs> and the, if you can pull that off, that is, that's incredible. So, so, I mean, you have so much to be thankful for, even though you've been through hell, those who have gone through miscarriage or gone through still, still births. Um, it's it's hard. It's unbelievably hard. It's the worst pain you can experience. I think as a woman, um, not being able to conceive losing children, um, having to place children in adoption, adoptive situations is, is devastating for everybody. But I think what you're doing with this book is changing the narrative a little bit about open adoption and allowing us to consider what it could be. And it, it gave me a lot of encouragement as an adoptive mama to, I think, just recognize the, the wounds that our children carry. Um, and even though Kaylee's in a great position to where she has a great adoptive family and a great birth family, um, I think that she still carries wounds of, man, I can't, I can't get to be with my birth family, even though she's healthier now, you know, she was 16 and she didn't have everything that she has now. So maybe it's been harder to see you blossom and become, you know, truly a safe and stable person. Um, and, and still not be able to go back and, you know, turn back time. So we have to wrap up, but I just wanted to say, um, thank you so, so much. This has been incredible. Reading the book has been incredible and I recommend it. I'll recommend it to my, to my readers. So is there anything else that you want to share about open adoption or about your book um, or what you're working on next? Well, my, I mean, my heart is to help other people have, um, even if it doesn't look like ours, just something, just understanding the importance of it. So I'm working on, you know, workshops, I'm working on you know, devotionals, I'm working on things to help be an encouragement to, especially for adoptive parents, um, but also to birth mothers and people making this decision. Um, so there's a lot of things that I'm trying to like focus on one thing. There's so many 
so many things that are needed in this space, but I'm excited. Like this is just the beginning. I wanted to tell my story so people understood the foundation of what I'm teaching out of, out of my experience. And so I, you know, I hope and pray this story is um, an encouragement and just helps, um, you know, undo some of those myths and just show what is possible um, that benefits everybody. Thank you again for having me. And I love hearing from the adoptive parents perspective too, and just how, what, you know, how you perceived it and what you learned from it. So I appreciate you diving into these, you know, quotes and questions. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for your vulnerability. I know it's not an easy story to share with the world and you did it. So yes, definitely, definitely is, a, you know, sharing it with a shaking voice because <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's, you know, it's not some of my best moments either, um, but God's, you know, used it all. And I hope people can see that too, whether they're touched by adoption or not, that God can do, use all things for good. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to another episode of Book Therapy. Today, we talked about the 16th year by Leah Outen. You can find her on her website, leahoutin.com, and also on social media. She does a lot of work with open adoption and birth mothers, and so there are resources on her page regarding getting to know the birth mother and the adoptive family. There's also going to be some artwork released soon that will help the relationship between the adoptive family and the birth family. Alrighty, see you next time.